What's up, my people? Welcome to today's show. Hope you're all doing well wherever you may be. My name is Nadem, and this week my cousin Yudi joins me yet again to play Guest the Guest. But before we do that, you must know the drill by now. Please follow the show on social media if you haven't done so already. Our handle is kickback underscore Nadem, and you can find us on Instagram and on that incredibly friendly place known as Twitter. Also, do not forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future shows. But anyway, Back to Yudi. How are you, my guy? How you doing? What up? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. You, you don't seem as uh, as cheery as normal weeks. Is, is everything all right? You concerned about the yeah. questioning or what's the deal? <laughs> Always concerned about the questioning, but I was wondering if uh, if you and the, the people of Kickback Nation would indulge me and let me do a quick shout out on this episode before we got, before we kicked off. Okay. So go on and tell me a bit more about this and what do you mean? So um, I don't know if, if you and the listeners out there had heard the story about the young man who dived into, who dove into the River Thames in an attempt to save uh, a woman's life and in so doing, unfortunately, lost his own. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I knew that young man. Uh, his name is Jimmy. I, I knew him from the work that I'd been doing as a volunteer at a local youth centre. So I, I want to make it clear this isn't, me trying to adopt the pain. There, there are people closer to Jimmy who I know right now will be really going through it. But I think just why it's important to recognize him is that level of self-sacrifice and the unlimited potential that he represented is is, is a loss to the entire world, uh, not just the people close to Jimmy. So he, he was a, an amazing young man, a terrible footballer who was at times capable of pulling out something spectacular. Sounds and like me. He, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty close, actually. <laughs> I'd say arguably, he's arguably better than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But, <laughs> but um, he, he was always on a quest and a mission to do the right thing. And um, he, he was really starting, he, he drew, and he wanted to talk, turn some of his uh, his drawings into a t-shirt company that he wanted to start online. And I was had the pleasure of speaking to him and trying to help him out with that mm-hmm. uh, and I just really wanted to if we could take this moment to use this episode and this platform to, to recognise Jimmy I know we usually uh, do the questions in aid of, of giving to a chosen charity but I was wondering if on this occasion we could actually donate to the GoFundMe page that's been set up in his name and in his honour yeah. and just wanted to, to push people to just remember Jimmy and especially when faced with a choice between doing what's right and what's easy, just remember Jimmy. Yeah, 100%. Um, so. 100%. We, I will happily, happily get involved in that. I think we're going to put a link in the uh, in the show notes. I think there might be a link in the description on the uh, Instagram and on the Twitter. So please, guys, go and have a look at that. And to bring us back, because obviously not everybody likes to hear sad things, but to bring us back in something more positive, Yudi, you've, everything you've said is incredible, but... Unfortunately, if you Google Jimmy, about a billion Jimmys might come up. So you need to say people's full names so people understand exactly who they are. Oh, sorry, that's my bad. I I knew him as Jimmy. <laughs> so, but yeah, his his full name will be in the show notes um, as well. well. We'll make sure we do that and really highlight who he was. Um, so it'll be really clear and obvious yeah. to everyone who which Jimmy I'm talking about. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well. Thank you very much for that. And it's given us a different sense of purpose this week. And it's a big show as well. So hopefully as many people as possible can go and see that. 
and rest in peace to Jimmy as well. I think what he did was incredibly noble and it's a shame that he's not here anymore and the world is going to miss a good one. But For sure. Back to the show now, okay? This is the bit that people have been itching to hear. They want to see you struggle. Let so this go. week I've this week I've put you in a place where like this is going to really test your knowledge. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So it's going to be the three clues like always. I may give you I may give you the chance to ask two questions this time, but you only get one guess. This is interesting. This is interesting. And this is an update. Luckily for you, luckily for you, the go, the go for me page outweighs any potential. You're not going to lose out on money here. I'm going to be contributing to that. So don't worry too much. Yeah, this is just for pride. I appreciate see what, it. See what your pride's worth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so here we go. Let's play. Let's play the game. Guess the guest. Let's go. Clue number one. He was born in Amsterdam and Ooh. went on to start his career for his boyhood club, Ajax. Right. Yeah? So that puts it down to about 50 different players. Yeah, Yeah. yeah sure. That's helpful. Clue number, two, clue number two. He scored the winner for AC Milan in the Derby della Mada, uh, sorry, it's Madonina, which is um, the Milan Derby at the San Siro. Yeah, he scored yeah. the winner. In one season, he scored the winner. Right. The last and final clue, which is you know this is this will be easy for you because you're you're a brain box. You know what I mean. He played with both Kevin Prince Boateng and Jerome Boateng. Kevin Prince and Jerome. Okay. It's easy for you. This it's easy. Uh, I mean, you, okay. you are on the clock from now. This is easy for you. From now, do you know who I think it is? No, straight away. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to say it, if you want to say it, then that's your guess. But if you want to ask a question, ask a question. All right, all right, all right, okay, let me <laughs> let me not feel myself too much. Did you play with this player at City? Um, play, play. Uh. Were you signed at City at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I was at City at the same time as this player. Yes, it's Nigel all day, Dion. That's exactly right. What was the easiest? What the thing? What gave it away was it the, the bowl tanks? Uh, no, it's just there's not that. See, let me walk the people through my thought process, all right? Because I think I'm going to bring them behind go. the curtain. Here we go. Here we go. So every week, like, and you've you've all got to remember that I've known Nadem literally my entire life. So every week, I'm thinking, not who who can, not just who the guest can be from the clues. But who is actually going to sit down and be talking to Nadem? So that's what I'm trying to. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm trying to get into my head. So I'm thinking it's not Clarence Seedorf and it's not Edgar Davids. So people who play for Ajax and AC Milan, I reckon it's Nigel De Jong. Yeah. So that's where my head was at. All right, okay, okay. You keep that energy, yeah. Eh? You keep that energy. <laughs> thank you, and, thank you. you thank know, you. at some point when we make it and we're global, then uh, yeah, the guests will be a bit different. But until that point, just know that guests are coming from my phone book. But it is what it is. Eh? <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations. Um, as I say, I'll be going to look at the GoFundMe page because it's an incredible story, and I'd love to do whatever I can to help the family, and hopefully other people will have a look at that too. But Yudi, congratulations! You smashed it this week. Some of the people are happy. Some people are unhappy. I get that. But ultimately, you know, we keep it moving. And now we head over to Qatar to speak with the man that is Nigel de Jong. Yo, Nigel. Yo, what's going on? How are you, man? It's been a long time. Cool, man. How's things? Oh, man. I can't believe I'm looking at Nigel de Jong again. This is a good time. <laughs> The, the, Come on, the, we all help each other out, brother. The smile's exactly the same. The energy's the same. I love this, man. I love this. You know that. Right, so we're going to talk, if possible, we're going to talk about 
how you got to where you are today. And I'm going to start at the very beginning in terms of you being a man of Amsterdam. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that meant that you went into the Academy of Ajax. Yeah. So right, you're, yeah. you're the first person from that academy and I've got so many questions about it. So I want to know to begin with, what is, it, what is it about the place that makes it so successful in terms of bringing out talent? Um, I think what makes it so successful is the, 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 the determination that they have and also the, the mental mindset. Mm -hmm. you got to understand, it's a small, small country, right? Yeah. But if it comes down to football, it's the number one sport. Yeah. So... This was going back before the era of social media, before the console games, before everything that was uh, that was from behind the screen. There was nothing else to do than just to play football on the streets. Mm -hmm. So our generation and the generation will always go. We're always going back to. Oh wait, you want to you want to start now? No, 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 no. It's fine. We're, we're recording. Don't worry. That's something else. Yeah. So. Why the academy is so successful, Ajax Academy is so successful, is because of the determination and also the mental mindset um, about bringing talents um, from a young age towards the academy. You can understand, like, Holland is a small country, mm -hmm. so it's only 50 million people. And before the whole social media social media era, before sitting behind the, behind the screen, console games whatsoever, the only thing that we could do back in the days my generation, generation before, was playing on the streets, street football. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing in Holland. So before even being recruited at Ajax Amsterdam, you're showing your talents on the streets. Yes. So you go from neighborhood to neighborhood, showing your skill sets to different neighborhoods, and then see who's the best in your in your neighborhood mm. the whatsoever. So that being said, of course, Ajax always had his scouts everywhere. Mm. They had a scouting system in all of Holland, mm. in different parts. Of, uh, of Holland, so they're always looking who is the best talents out there, and that bring them also to the streets. Even though sometimes when you didn't have an, an amateur club that you were playing for, your name was always going around if you was a big talent in in, in Amsterdam or in Holland in general. Mm. So Ajax always set up. So they're all they were always early when it comes down to finding rough diamonds on the streets. Yes, and um, in my case, I played for an amateur team in my neighborhood in Amsterdam West. Um, and I was just uh, signing myself in for the scouting days. Mm -hmm. They call them the talent days in, in Holland. So you sign yourself up with 20,000, 30,000 of other kids, and then you sh you, you showing them your, sh your sh skill set. And then, um, that being said, uh, there's a, a group of scouts around the pitch showing what you can do, and then they will invite you again and again and again and again. So... Uh, for me, coming from Amsterdam um, and also being able to be part of that whole academy, of course, that's a, that's that's a, that's a, one of the the highest praise yeah. for a young kid, and also yeah. to come in that academy. So I think that's why that academy is so successful: is that determination, the will to work, and also to expand their horizon when it comes down to, you know, scouting kids on a young age in different parts of the world and not staying behind and you gotta understand in that time ix was the main team mm. in and also in international wise if we're talking about the crowd if we're talking about the generation of david seedorf reichardt you know the 90s early 90s mm -hmm. team so you know it was a it was a 
an, an easy easy choice for you to make if you could choose between Ajax or another club in Amsterdam. So you see all those players that you named, they all form part of the very prestigious history that is that the Ajax Football Club has. But a lot of those players leave. So when you're coming through at Ajax, mm-hmm. is the plan to stay there and to play as many games as possible? Or is it a case of you come there to play to be able to go somewhere else? Like, what's the general mentality? Now, maybe nowadays that mentality is set in now. But back in the days, what I just said before as well, Ajax was the number one team in the world. We mm. just won the Champions League in 94, 95. So mm. you got to understand that's the top of the world. Mm. And of course, with, you know, uh, with the big money coming in nowadays, and we're talking about two decades later, you know, it's just a talent factory in order to give the talents a chance to bake it on the big stage and then sell them on because we can't compete with the big the big, the big, big leagues anymore. Mm-hmm. But back in the days, for me, when I was playing for Ajax, my dream was always to stay as long as possible for Ajax, play for Ajax. And just make it in that arena, you know, growing up as a young kid, looking at that stadium, saying I want to be able to make it one day in that stadium. So, you know, that being said, it was a different era. Mm. So, um, you know, when you're growing up, for me, Ajax was the number one team in the world. So that was always the intention to stay as long as possible. For obvious, you know, throughout the years, you know, fast forward when I was six years, seven years old, making it into the academy and then third you know 14 years later or 13 or 12 years later making my debut mm. for the first team you know it's already over a decade mm. a lot of stuff changed okay. so you know, that for me then 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 the, then the move in your head comes like okay maybe it's time for you to go on uh, and not stay for ix for the rest of your life because you know what i said as well you want to you want to you play in different leagues you want to win trophies as well you want to compete international wise so uh it's different from now to then yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, to look back at your career starting, mm-hmm. there's one thing which I know, and I'm going to pretend that I don't know, but some people mm-hmm. maybe don't know, which is the fact that you started as an attacking midfielder. You, Nigel Young, <laughs> started as an attacking midfielder. So how did that... I won't ask you why was that the case. I want to know why did you end up dropping back? Because surely if you're a good attacking midfielder, you surely you'd stay up there, no, Nigel? Yeah, of course. You know, like I got, I got a lot of slack for my people around me. Also, <laughs> even my agent who's been with me for eighteen years, saying, "Why ever change your your position from attacking midfielder or box to box, say mm. box to box midfielder, to more defensive kind of style?" Um, the question is, uh, the answer is, is that I always, I always liked. I, actually, I started as a right winger. You know, okay. like when I came at Ajax, I started as a right winger. Uh-huh. Then moved. To, striker a number 10 and then a box to box a number eight which you can say mm. uh, eventually playing as a holding but um when uh, throughout my throughout my years my professional years um the, the one thing that i always had over other players is my mental mindset mm. you know my fitness, uh my dedication to win a battle a 50 50 or whatsoever and i already had that mentality when i was a striker so as a striker i was always going 50 50 with defenders mm. i was i try to attack attack all these you know defenders and showing them that i'm stronger than my opponent even though it was a big defender whatsoever mm-hmm. so i always had that edge over uh, most of the mid- attacking midfielders or, or strikers whatsoever so when it when it comes down to the 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 uh, the, the years in, into my into my career, um, I remember playing as a box to box player, 
Um, and then went to Germany. Fast forward over Ajax. Ajax, I play many positions: right back, left back, central, you know, central defender, uh, attacking midfielder. So when I went to Germany, I had a coach called Hugh Stevens, and he told me, "Listen, Nigel, if you really want to make it into professional football, you got to concentrate yourself on one position. Don't be that player that's been toying around, because if you've been toying around for left or right, you've been much easier to put yourself on the bench. Mm. So focus yourself." Or what's important, one position. And if I was you, I would take that defensive role, that holding midfield, because in that position, there are not many that have the technical ability, mm. but also the mental mindset to perform on that on, on that position. Mm. And I got thinking, so this was, this was on the age of 21, 22. So it got me thinking and I decided eventually, so, okay, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to focus myself on that position. Mm. And then, you know, years later, here we are, like 14 years later, still... Uh, yeah, forever, still, still there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've mentioned the move to Hamburg there, but yeah. given the fact that you came from Amsterdam, um, Ajax were one of the best teams in the world at the time. You're playing, you've won the league, you've been player of the year, and you had a contract in play. Why did you say that you wanted to leave then? It's... Uh, because I wanted to experience something else. And you got to understand, in that time, Ajax was, not, was on the brink to not able to contend yeah. international. Uh, I was out of contract. And the contract that we were offering, in my opinion, was not good enough. Yeah. And I wanted to look for options elsewhere. So even though when I just came up that season, being player of the year, you know, I had so many options because as a free agent, obviously, you know that mm. as well. People will... Uh, clubs will come in line, and I was looking for the next hot prospect. Prospect, mm -hmm. and in that time, I was that I was that guy. So I had clubs lining up for me. So for me, it was just an easy transition mm. to go see somewhere else and to develop myself also as a player. Mm. Even though I always my intention was always to play play as long as as possible for Ajax, but in that current situation, it was I had the, I had the need, and I felt like it was the right decision for me to move on. So when I was about 21, 22. Uh, in January, in 2005, 2006, I, I reckon, um, I had a, a couple of lines lined up. And for me to make the des that decision to go to Hamburg was once, it was close, it was close to home, it was four hours drive to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Plus the German mentality is second to none. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was, I was always um, uh, from the mindset that the technically technical ability was more than enough to make it in international football yeah germany man mm. i swear it was just a different mindset mm. work ethic was second to none mm. and i was i was in the back of the line <laughs> even though when i came in as a hot prospect i was in the back of the line i mean you had to understand germans are different when it comes down to mentality and work ethic so it was a good transition for me you know just to showcase my technical abilities but also work on my other aspect of football mm. and that was work ethic that so, I always had it in my in my in my body but there yeah it's just, a, just yeah. coming out I bet that's very interesting and also um you talk about mindset then but then yeah. what we talk about mindset in relation to perception were you not worried at all that people would think ill of you in Ajax because you said you wanted to leave especially for such a young guy as well um, yeah, you, you, get all, you, always get, uh, you get always get backlash, you know, whatever decision you make. 
And of course, the be- the be- the best decision is always in favor of the club mm. and fans that always want to stay. That is normal. But sometimes you have to think about also about your own position. So backlash is always be there. And you got to know, I've been born and raised in Amsterdam. I'm an Amsterdam kid. You know, I got I got that I got my Ajax blood in my heart, mm. in my veins from a young age. So it was kind of it was kind of a backlash for them seeing one of their own leave the club. Mm. But at the end of the day, they could accept it. You know, because I had to move on and develop myself as a player as well. Yeah. So it was a it was a difficult decision, but at the end of the day, it was it was the best decision that I ever made mm. uh, in order to develop myself as a player. And what were the expectations at uh, Hamburg as a club? Was their aim to try and win the Bundesliga, or where were they at? Yeah, the expectations were to win the Bundesliga. You know, at that time, Hamburg was uh, second best behind Bayern Munich at that time. Mm. Uh, you know, we had a great team with Bularus, with Van Buiten, with uh, Van der Vaart. You know, we had all these good players, uh, Barbares, Ailton. We had great players, you know, playing there. So for me to slot in was quite not, not easy, but it was it was the right decision because mm-hmm. I had two Dutch teammates from the national team that could help me out also there, you know, in order to, to know how things were going there in Germany. And also to the fact that I was playing Champions League mm-hmm. because they qualified. At second place behind Bayern Munich, so I was slotting in in that Champions League in Ch- Champions League adventure with them. Mm. So it was it was a win win. Yeah. So for me, it was a decision to make. But in that time, then to call it what it was, do you think it was successful? Because did you win anything? I wasn't uh, uh, trophy wise. We were not successful, so we didn't win a trophy uh, because Bayern Munich was just yeah, too Bayern. dominant. Yeah, I mean, st- so mm. it was really it was really hard for us to to, to win a trophy. Um, even if it is the the you know the cup mm-hmm. uh, like the, F, the the equivalent of the FA Cup in, uh, in 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 Germany, but I think it was a success in order for me just to grow as a person and as a player as well. Mm-hmm. Because question, I made my move to Man City, mm-hmm. you know, um, being one of the best players in that team mm-hmm. uh, in Edinburgh. So for me, it was the best transition because what I said before as well. You know, if you have the technical ability as a player, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. You have to have the, the, the mindset of a grinder, of a, of a grafter, of, of, of work ethic in order to succeed in football. Mm. And that's what I learned, you know, like three days, three times a day. Yeah. Training, six o'clock in the morning, going in the forest for a run. Like, it's just, I swear, Nathan, it's just... I was just baffled. I yeah. was really flabbergasted what I was seeing there in, in my early stages. You got to understand, like, I was young, flashy, yeah. you know, like, I was just, like, <laughs> taking the ball to my feet, doing all these tricks. And they looked at me like, who is this kid? Really? <laughs> you really think I'm from Ajax Amsterdam? And you can just showcase your skills here, like you're mm-hmm. like a Diego Maradona or something. Man, it's a different world out here. Yeah. So I really had to adjust that. So for me, coming back on your question is, of course, I didn't win anything, but the biggest win for me was just, you know, to to, um, to develop myself in the player that I am today. Okay, so obviously you started off in um, you start off younger when you were playing for Ajax and so on. You developed as a yeah. player in the Bundesliga, but for say the looking back now, which league do you think suited your game more, the Dutch league or the German league? Uh, if you if you have to choose between the two of them, or just in overall, those two, just those two. Uh, it's difficult though because you know, like, because I've been born and raised in the in the in the Dutch system, but I kind of like the 
the German league is this. I think, I think it's the Dutch. The German league is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I think if I have to choose, I go for for the Dutch league all day because just because of the technical ability mm-hmm. that they have and the way how they raise you to play football. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I think that was suits me more. And of course, now when I look back um, with experience I have, I wish I could. Not I wish, but if there was an opportunity, I wish I could go back in the Dutch league. Mm-hmm. It's Differences between the player that I am right now, yeah, and how player that I was before at, on a young age, mm-hmm. just to see how the difference is and if that really helped me these years overseas mm-hmm. and in leagues, yeah, to see if I can the game better for sure. Um, I have to go for the Dutch league, you know, if I look at the two uh, two leagues. Okay, so 2008 2009, that's the year where you make the leap to go over to play for Manchester City. I think that's where a lot of the listeners for my show know you from. Even though they yeah. know you were elsewhere, they know you specifically from there. So mm-hmm. when that move was coming about, did you have other options at the time or was City the main option or the only one? No, I had different options at that time. Um, I was close to joining Madrid, Real Madrid, uh, at that time as well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I was close there. But, you know, Madrid was not in, the, in one of the best states and we had so many Dutch players at that time, Van der Vaart, Robert Schneider mm. and Huntelaar. So they were kind of fed up with Dutch players. Okay. So you know, I had to make a decision just based on myself, but also in the situation that I would come in. You know, it was not the Madrid that you see now. It was a Madrid in transition with mm-hmm. all these problems behind the scenes. So um, City came knocking on the door as well. Um, and it was a couple of other clubs um, in Spain and um, in Italy as well, just to try to get me. Mm. But the then as well Madrid and City that I had to choose from mm-hmm. because that was that was my main main target because my my wish was always to go to the Premier League. Yes. You know? When City came knocking on the door and especially with the project that they got in front of me, um talking to uh Mark Hughes at the time, mm. that was the co um uh, the director, CEO uh Mr uh, Mansoor mm. uh Kaldun, sorry, Kaldun and Mansoor. Um, as well, you know, talking about the whole project and what they would try to do and develop the the, the league at that time, for the the club at that time, you know, I was pretty sure that I made my decision up in the span of two or three days. Mm. Um, though Real Madrid was still the number one go-to uh, club for me, mm. um, so yeah, I mean, there was a different couple of clubs, but but City really persuaded me. In going into that project, and people just were talking to me like, "Are you crazy? You choose Man City was <laughs> eleven team going over Madrid." I said, like, "Listen, it's it's the project that 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 does it for me." And of course, money wise, it was fantastic, but yeah. it was not really a difference between Madrid and, and, yeah. and City when it comes to money. So salary wise, but it was just for me the the, the opportunity that I could play in the, in the Premier League and starting at a club that was going from scratch mm. to winning something. It's always easy to go to a club that has success. Yeah. And they have success. But in order to do something with, with a club that never had success and to do it and to be able to do it as one of the first one was more appealing for me. Yeah, for sure. So why I made that decision. That's that's really that's really, really interesting because there's so many different perceptions and memories of that time. And mm-hmm. say for me, the project in quotation marks or whatever, when it first came about, like you knew that the owners were serious, but because I'd been at the club for as long as I'd been at the club and I was in the academy, did all that stuff. Someone's yeah. saying that this is the quest to be the best team in England, but I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but we were in 
we were in the third division a few years ago. So they, they yeah. call it the project and I want to believe in it. But it's very, it was very hard to initially just be like, well, this is definitely going to happen. Because as well, I spent my whole life watching Manchester United dominate everybody and Chelsea and Arsenal. You know, some some might say Liverpool or whatever, but it was weird. But then I, so I was sceptical at the start. But as more and more players like yourself were coming in, I started to think, well, this is, this is a thing. This is a, this is a real, real thing. And as I say, yeah, it's right? Yeah, but then the, the other side of it was, as all you guys were coming in, I was getting closer to the door, but we won't talk about that. But anyway. <laughs> I, was... no, but I, understand where you, I understand where you're coming from, and I understand what you're trying to say, because I had the same thing. You know, like, you got to understand, I made this decision to go for, to play for City yeah. without having one step inside of Carrington. Yeah. Without having had a look at the stadium, nothing. Mm. So I came there just based on the decision uh, of opinions of others. Yeah. So when I first day, I, re, I remember the first day when I stepped in character. You remember the old character? Yeah, it yeah. was not like no, nah, not you know, Chap, Chappy, Les Chapman. Yeah, mm. threw a basket in the middle of the dressing room with like this old cock sportif clothes. Oh, it's just disaster! Now like, you can. I was like, wait, what? I just come from <laughs> an organization that had everything in place. It's German, you know, your own kids, your own football shoes. Everything was nice, and, yeah. and then I come to Carrington. And we had to fight over training clothes yeah. out of a bed. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen all these all these uh, players that were almost out of the door. Michael Ball, Didi yeah. Hama, Mills, Pozhinov. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. You know, all these all these guys who were always on the almost on the brink of leaving the club and then didn't really care anymore. I was like, what is going on? Where did I choose? Where? What is this? What is this adversary? Mm-hmm. So coming to your comment about skeptical i had the same i had the same skeptical yeah. opinion at that stage but i knew over time in the in the, in the stuff that we'll try to do with all these big money signings and stuff like that i knew that it was just a matter of time that, that, that this project is about was about to blow up yeah for sure so now we mentioned style pl- style play before but do you think your style suited english football more so than it did in germany and in the holland or was it still holland that's the bet that's the spot no, when I, when I was in when I was in in city and when I was in England, I think that's that that suited my my style the best because nowhere near in the world you get more cheered on for a great tackle. Oh yeah, anything yeah. is for a great goal or yeah. assist. Yeah, I mean, no, it was so electric every time. I mean, you you're a defender, you yeah. know, every time you went mm-hmm. in the fifty fifty, mm-hmm. they were like, you know, they do, yeah, 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 you know, like yeah, they will go for you and that. That electricity you will never find in another country. Mm. You know, I've been play, playing everywhere, almost everywhere in the world, and that's why it suited my game so much. Because you know, I got so much energy of the crowd, enabled to perform week in, week out, and to lift my game up. So, you know, of course, also with the technical skills that I had, mm. you know, just the, the interaction with the fans, uh, it was the the energy of the game. Uh, it was just everything about football in England in general that suited my game more than uh, any other league. Okay, so obviously you came and at the start of the project, you, we were in Le Coq Sportif, but give it a few years, you've won the FA Cup, you've won the Premier League. Uh, did you did you feel at that time how big a deal that was for the football club? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was an amount of pressure that was on the on the club, you know, under when, when, when Sparky left Mark Hughes and when Mancini came in, mm. the expectation was so high because you have to understand we were one of the first clubs they, 
They brought in big money signings, like four or five signings that summer before we won the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. So there were so many expectations uh, for us to win, but also from the football for us to fail. Yeah, You know, years failed because they were like, okay, these rich kids from around the corner, you know, this, 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 this money that's coming from uh, the Middle East, wanted them to fail. So there were so much expectations on us. So the pressure we could felt that inside of the club, if it is on the board, for some among the players. So when you got that first trophy in, it was just such a, a relief of our shoulders as well. Mm. We were doing something special. And you could feel it in the group as well. You know, even though there was, we had so much uh, competition inside of the group, it was all respect. Mm. And it was towards one goal and that's to win the Premier League because that was our main goal. Mm. Of course, that fake was fantastic, the first trophy, you know, in 32 years. But I mean, that Premier League was the one because you gotta understand, Fergie was still He's raining. St- yeah, still there. Yeah, it, it was just raining in Manchester and in the Premier League. Yeah. So to, to win the to win the Premier League in the era of Fergie was something that you know for us was a big achievement because we always looked up to United. I mean, I think the whole football world of the Premier League because United is the pinnacle when mm-hmm. it comes down to winning trophies over the years. Mm-hmm. So when we did that. It was just a huge, huge relief uh, of the board and also inside of the club for everybody. All right. So make this make sense then. So you, you achieve this goal of winning right. the Premier League. And then yeah. obviously, you know, someone would stay forever. But then instead you say, no, nah, I'm going to leave. Why, why did you leave? Um, I, had a rocky, I had a rocky relationship with, uh, with Mancini at that time. I was in my last year of my contract. Uh, at six months left and uh, I wanted to sign a new deal with City but they didn't want to give me the salary that I asked for in fact they wanted to give me the same even less mm. of the money that I on so that was like a, that was like you know a stab in my heart mm. towards the because you know me I'm, I do everything for the club I was always mm-hmm. you know trying to make the best out of it every situation uh I was always trying to bind some, everybody. And I was really feeling like I was part of the club and family that could stay there for years. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to stay there for years. But fortunately, with the board and also with Mancini, um, you know, that rocky relationship, uh, two egos just clashing. Mm. Maybe the fight just to, to move forward. Um, I just won the, the charity shield with mm. City uh, in the final against Chelsea. Mm. Uh, the charity shield. And I think a day after or something like that, AC Milan came knocking on the door and they came with a private flight to Carrington, or not to Carrington, to Manchester. Mm. They just tried to seal the deal as soon as possible. And City just gave the green light and they said like, yeah, you can go. And that was it for me. I was like, you know, that was like a, that was like confirmation. Yeah. Confirmation. Already made the deal behind my back. Yeah. You know, my agent got involved, obvious, and that, that was it. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, then I moved on, you know. Of course, AC Milan for me was a was was a dream come true because you can understand in Holland, mm. AC the biggest thing after Ajax mm. because of the three from Buster right at Gullit, mm. you know, with the success they had. So for me, it was a, a fantastic opportunity. It was it, it was pain in my heart that I had to leave City because I could really feel the love and admiration that I had there. But uh-huh. it was just one of those moments in football, you know. Yeah. For sure, that's that's the thing. I think at some point in your career, you realise that all the good things that come with football don't happen all the time because sometimes you can get caught in negative things, which are the reality of football, which happened to essentially everybody. 
but you just yeah. hope it doesn't happen to you too often. But it is a question for you, which I didn't have planned. Mm. So you look back now and obviously you wish you could have stayed or whatever, but you've still had a very good career after that point leaving. But yeah. I don't know if you feel it, but Vincent Company, Sergio Aguero, David Silva are icons of the football club. And what they yeah. did is what you could have done because you came at the same time. So right. like, do you feel not a sense of regret because obviously the thing happened itself, but is that, is, is that how you would have liked to have been seen by the club? Because as, as I say, you came when it wasn't perfect, mm -hmm. but you know, you ended up winning something and now the legacy that they have, you know, they're going to have statues outside the state, outside the stadium, you know, and your impact in the team was the same at that point. So do you, as I say, not, do you regret it? But how do you feel when you hear of those players who you played with at the same sort of time, having that type of reputation? No, I never regret anything. Everything always happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that I've seen these guys having a statue outside of the same because they fully deserved it. Mm. I could I could be part of that clan, you know, being one of the strongholds of that team and being, uh, being inside of that dressing room for a good decade. But things in football, they just go however they go. Mm. And I never regret anything. Um, of course, what I said before, I would love to stay at City as long as possible because it really felt like a home for me, mm. not only for me, but for my family, you know, mm. and the relationship that I had with everybody and the interaction that I had with fans. But, you know, in a certain time of your career, you have to make decisions. And in that, in that certain time, uh, one of the biggest uh, things that for me was very important was the national team. Mm. I was about to lose my place in the national team because I was in and out of the City team in that last six months with City. You, the Euros 2012 were around the corner. Um, and also the position that I had for the qualification for 2014. So I had to make a decision in order for me to say, like, I need to continue football, playing football. Because in that time, our squad was big. Mm. We had so many great players. you know. And whenever you're not playing, the old coach always said, you need, I need players that they're playing. Mm -hmm. I don't need players that sit on the bench and just watch, you know? Mm -hmm. So I needed to make a decision. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, I had to make a decision to leave City behind me. And uh, looking back right now, I never regret it. I still, I would do the same thing if I would be in the same situation again. Yeah. But I love the fact that, you know, these guys coming from scratch, you know, being able to, to be, you know, recognize one of the legends of the club, and uh, having a statue outside of the, the, the stadium, that is, that is, that is amazing. Mm. But that never takes away, you know, that the team of that won the Premier League, you know, if it is B, if it is Balotelli, if mm. it is Jolie Lescott, Michael Richards, you know, like all these kids, all these guys that were in that team, still regarded as legends, yeah. also without. So yeah. I still feel the love when I walk in Manchester, if I walk into the club. Yeah. I mean, it's second to none, you know, we're the first to ever do, do it, yeah. so people will never forget that. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one thing about, say, City's history, for City fans who are listening. Even though the club is what it is now, mm. the journey to get to that point has featured a lot of people at different times who've mattered. Yeah. Like, there was a point in 2006, maybe, where, for us, we didn't score a goal at home for three months, but we managed right. to stay in the Premier League which then meant that further down the line, something positive could happen. So even though you don't have the success of now, like if that, you can't disregard that era because it did matter. The same as saying the division two, division two playoff final in 99. If those guys didn't do what they did, 
maybe yeah. I wouldn't have been playing in the Premier League when I did. You know, there's a there's a lineage which is very very important. But to go back to your time, AC Milan. Yeah, exactly. A legend, yeah. legend for real. Yeah. So to go back to AC Milan then. So you've played in the Eredivisie, Bundesliga, Premier League. You've said the Premier League suits your style because pe- people are passionate about the way that you play the game. So the last place I'd, I'd then expect you to go to with your game would be Italy, yeah. because I'll be honest, yeah. from the outside, I would I won't call it soft because it's not soft, but I say it's a mm. bit more theatrical. So yeah. how did that? How did you have to adjust your game to be part of that culture now? I was, you know, like to be honest, in the beginning, I had to. It was a good six months that I really had to adjust my game or the way I was seeing the game because you come in a different culture. Then you got the, the language barrier. Mm. Then you got the fact that they're thinking about football differently. It's all about result instead mm. of football. Mm. You know, when you're with the big teams, result is key. Mm. You know, so I just had to I just had to adjust for a good six months, and it didn't help that I I, I uh, tore my uh, Achilles tendon uh. in my first three four months as well, uh, five five months. So, you know, all, all of that, you know, th- just made me realize that I really had to take my time and soak in what is really the game of football about in Italy. So, of course, it's really theatrical, but I was still the same player. I just had to be smarter in the stuff that I was doing. I couldn't go, I couldn't go in a 50-50 anymore wild mm. when the referees say play on. Mm. That would not happen mm. because you don't have players at the other end of that challenge doing the exact same thing mm. because they're all looking for a foul or just like a dive or whatsoever. So I had to be more smart about it. But what I can say is that they see defending as an art form. Yeah. It, them, the foundation and the basic is how to defend properly. From that point on, you go forwards. So I really learned how to defend, how to, to see the game more tactically in order to win games. And of course, I had Mancini at, at City. Mm. You, see, you, know, you know him as well. And he was also really about defensive-wise. Yeah. And you remember the, the exercises we did, you know, 11 against no bar, yeah. moving right, left to right, forward, backwards. So boring. Mm. But it gives you a sense of, uh, sense of structure in your head to know when you were on the pitch and when you're playing against the ball, you know what to do. So that, that, that perfected in Italy. So I really had to adjust my game to that. But when I adjusted it and when I soaked it in, man, I gave it, I became a fan favorite mm. in an instant. Mm. Yeah, I even saw you scored some goals as well, but we don't need to get yeah. into those. There's not not too much praise <laughs> for you on this show. Not too much praise for you. <laughs> not for too many of them. No, I don't get the credit that I yeah. <laughs> No, you deserve it. 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 That's a fact. You deserve it. But speaking, speaking then of, um, say, credit and perception and stuff like this, one thing I found from being in the media more now is I'm always wary of what I say because it's a one-way conversation. So if I talk about a specific player and that player can't respond to me, right. I'm not going to say certain things because, right. as I say, we can have a discussion. I can tell, I could tell him what I think about something that they've done. But I'm right. very wary of me on my platform with everybody listening, right. thinking that I'm an expert in something. If I say something that ends up being wrong, that's going to spread faster than somebody on the other side eventually catching it in a few months and saying, well, no, that that's, you know, that's the other way around. So perceptions being created by people. And one which I think needs addressing if, you, if you're up for this now is that within the football world, there's a very, very strong perception that you're a dirty player. 
But for me, right. having been somebody who played with you, I wouldn't call you that at all. I'd say you're very, yes. very competitive. And there have been some incidents or whatever, but I think they're the exceptions and not the norm. So how do you feel when someone says that about you when you know that they haven't necessarily seen all the games in your career? Does it bother you or are you just passed it? It doesn't bother me, man. I really don't I don't really don't care. I really I, I'd rather have them, you know, create an opinion based on my aggressiveness and say I'm a dirty player whatsoever. Because the funny thing is whenever somebody else walks in the tunnel next to me, it's in the back of their mind. So I'm already winning. <laughs> okay. So let other let other people just talk about me in the sense of I'm dirty and I'm I'm a nasty player. It gives me the edge and it gave me the edge over a lot of players, trust me. Mm. I've seen players not even come close to me or when I made a tackle, they just put their foot away. Mm. So in that sense, it made me it made me more in an advantage. Mm. But, you know, for me, it was never an issue. They kept talk all you want. You know, you have to have a thick skin just to go through all this stuff. And of course, you know, football is always what you said. Journalists always try to create uh, um, an opinion for others because of the stuff that they've been saying. Mm. And you have to really watch out what you're saying, especially nowadays with the whole social media platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't really bother me. I mean, it was more my family that bothered. You know, I had to calm my family down. It's yeah. not going to, to, to like arguments or scuffles on the streets or whatsoever. You know, so I really had to calm them down. But for me, it was never an issue, man. I mean, you know, you, you hate me or you love me. Mm. I'm going to play the game that I, I, I've been taught to play. And I'm going to stay in the, in, the, in the challenge. However, I think I'm going to be in the challenge. Hey, you know me. You see me. Yeah. I mean, I'm so competitive. I'm, I, just, I just love the game of football. I'm passionate about it. I'm almost 37. I'm still playing. Yeah, yeah. It's not because... It's because I'm so in love with the game. Yeah. And I'm so... Cool. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that people need to understand. Football players playing this game not only because they want to be financially independent, mm. it's because they have love of the game. Mm. The passion that comes with the game is second to none mm. because every reporter that brings out a story, brings out a certain gossip whatsoever, deep in their hearts, they want to be that football player. Yeah. They want to be the 1% or the 2% that make it into the football world. Mm. You know? So I always take that in consideration before I read anything or, you know, seeing comments about myself whatsoever. Mm. You know, I'm a lucky, I'm a lucky guy, man, to make it into the football world, to be financially independent, to provide my family with whatever I can do, but still have the passion and the love for the game that I had when I was seven or six years old. Yeah. You know, that changed. So it doesn't really matter my opinion, the opinions of mothers, because at the end of the day, nobody's going to say it in your face. You know, <laughs> that's a fact. Nobody's Nobody's <laughs> Uh, that's especially not yours but whenever they see you in real life it's all love yes yeah, my whole career i tell you right now somebody came up to me and said like you're a nasty dude you're a rude blah, 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 you're a bad player never yeah so that's that's that says something as well so i just take it for granted man i mean opinions are formed based off other people's opinions and not really knowing the person that behind behind it. That's a fact. But let me add some context to this then because you mentioned that certain players will pull out of tackles but then the other side of it, what if a referee believes that you're dirty? Do you get worse treatment because of the fact they think you're dirty? Um... Well, you, you can always tell if a referee is really cautious. You know, you know if it's a little like a little foul whatsoever, lift the right a little, a little shoulder push whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like you can always sense it. But this is also 
this is all, this also has to, has to do with the ability of reading a game. Mm. If you read him well, if you know how the, the referee is, if you know how a certain player is, an opponent for you whatsoever, you have to understand that, you know, you have to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, referees always have a, like a, an eagle eye on you. You know, if it is after the uh, the World Cup tackle or the tackles that are made throughout my career, injuring mm. other players, mm. they always have like a chip on their shoulder seeing, okay, now just the youngest on the pitch. I mean, we see it now with the likes of Pepe, Ramos. Yeah. You know, all, the referees always have an extra eagle eye on them because they can always, you know, snap whatsoever. Yeah. So you have to be smart about it. You just have to read the game more and knowing what you can and what you can't do. Perfect, perfect, perfect. But... Again, this is the second layer of it. Does it yeah. not bother you at all because it takes away from how good you are technically when people always want to talk about your aggression? Or does that not bother you at all? It doesn't bother me. You know, my, my, it bothers the people around me and my agent for sure. You know, because he, always, he knows what kind of player I am. And yeah. so you're so gifted. It's in a small space. You can come out of it easily like a, a David Silva. Or, yeah. Because you have the school in you mm-hmm. so people don't really see the technical ability that i have to play football and seeing how i play and being regarded as a, as a dirty player but that doesn't really bother me anymore because i always see it and i see it till this day only a few get the acknowledgement that they have during their career you get acknowledged when you retire mm. or get acknowledge you as you retire because when you retire there's nobody else to hurt being hurt. There's nobody else to be. Yeah. And then you get the acknowledge that you deserve. Then they say, oh, remember nice deal. We need a player like him in the national team. <laughs> because the ability that he have or the aggression that he have, we're missing out in that player. Mm-hmm. You know? So I've seen it with so many of my, the generation that was in front of me that retired. And there was always, you know, uh, being, being, being cheered against, you know, if you're talking about the Seedorf, talking about the Dafits, talking about Van you know, all these players. All these players, they were always like a problem, yeah. a problem football player, but getting acknowledged after they after they retired. So they will probably do the same for me. Once mm. I announce my retirement, you see what people will say. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll, I'll be one of those people. Don't worry, I'll be, I'll be at the front of the I'll be front at the front of the flipping fan club. Don't worry about that. So you go anyway from AC Milan then to LA Galaxy, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you didn't stay there for long, but how did you find playing in the MLS? Was it as you expected, or was it very, was it a little bit different? I was. It was. It was a very different. You know, I mean, living in LA was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I think the the system, you know, the MLS system that been set up, uh, was just nothing for me. Mm. You know, there was relegation. There was no. You know, you're playing sometimes against teams you play three times. Um, Sometimes you play two times, sometimes you just, just play once a season against mm. certain teams. And, you know, you had to go from coast to coast, state to state. Uh, sometimes you stayed uh, at the East Coast because we played at the West Coast. East Coast, you stayed there for two weeks and played three or four games in that whole East Coast circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that, you know, we as professional players, we can do whatever we want. Mm. But if you're not a designated player, if you're not an American, you're just a slave of the system. Mm. So... Or you know you can get traded to another club. Even even though if you're just based on, uh, ba- based in in LA or whatever with your family, just if in a year time. Mm. So there was never really, it was never really something that you can build on. You mm. know you can never really build on a team, uh, build a success whatsoever because your your fate was always in 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 hands of a federation mm. or a club. So I didn't really like the system. 
So that's why I only stayed there for a year mm. and back to Turkey for two years, you know? Yeah, th that's one thing. Like, I think people, I've got American listeners on the show and they do appreciate the value of MLS, but they do understand it's also very different to, say, the world model and so on. But one thing which mm -hmm. I want to mention, just quickly, because I don't want to talk too long about Super League and so on, but yeah. in all the debates and the outrage that's existed in Europe about this European Super League, one thing which continues to be said is the fact that people say they hate this concept of a closed league where there's no promotion or relegation and people are just in there and they can never leave it. And the more yeah. voices I hear saying that, mm. I don't think about the time I was in America and people would ask me, for example, like, do you think the MLS will ever catch up to Europe? And I think there are some issues, whether it's, you know, location in terms of time for kickoffs and so on, which they can't change. But another one ultimately is like, if you present the MLS closed league model to most casual fans around the world, they won't perceive it in the same way they do their own domestic leagues, no matter how good the football is. And I think that's mm -hmm. something if they want to, I'd say if they want to arrive at that sort of level, because you can bring in individual talent, but the eyes themselves only follow the talent as opposed to the clubs and the leagues itself. And I think uh, ultimately it seems like that change would have to happen at some point, even though it's not necessarily in the best interest of the American model, if they want to be seen at that level. But we'll, <laughs> let's not talk Super League, because that's all I've said for the last week. That's literally been the only thing I've spoken about. <laughs> You're right, though. You're right. I mean, yeah, absolutely spot on when you were saying as well. You know, it's, the, the, the problem that you have is that the American system is based on a business model. Mm. So it's run from, from business CEOs trying to make as much revenue as they can get involved in sports. And I'm really thinking about the talent that can flourish. Mm. So, you know, when you when you look at that Super League debacle, most of the owners were Americans. And I think they underestimated the power that European football has, the fans, the power of the fans, the power of the players, mm. because of that investment over years and years, building a foundation mm. of how football is nowadays in European football. Mm -hmm. So I think when you take that, when you take that away with no relegation, there is no there's no fun in playing football yeah. anymore. Because you know, you need emotion, you need emotional roller coasters from fans knowing they can relegate or mm. knowing they can have success and losses as well. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing there's not no emotions gonna go anymore if you can't relegate in a system of of, of football anymore. Mm -hmm. So that taken away, I think now it's been good that it's been being on a hold. All right then. So looking back at your career, which at which point would you yeah. say you enjoyed enjoyed it the most? Um, there's not really a particular point though. I mean, it's faces. You know, I think I think you can relate to yourself as well that you always have faces in your career that you that you enjoy the most. For me, it's the same thing. It's not really a particular time. Like saying for four years straight, I enjoyed Milan, or four years straight, I enjoyed City, mm -hmm. or four years straight with Ajax. It's just it's moments in time, moments in your career, and you know. I think the moments that you really cherish is that when you really appreciate you being a football player uh, and the, the the love that you have for the game because you know you're such an you're such in a fast forward train all the time. You know when you're playing the European game, you know you go from game from 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 weekdays to weekends, from weekends to international games, from international mm -hmm. games to your 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 your, your country. So you're always in this you know roller coaster of go 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 that you didn't really appreciate the stuff. And now I'll come to my, you know, now I really enjoy looking back on my career and seeing like, oh yeah, you know, I had some great moments in my time. And of course, you know, the successes that you had with City, the success that I had with the national team, 
you know, my early playing days at Ajax Amsterdam. You know, that was also for me one of the the best times. So I just certain moments, certain times in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it's not really a particular point. Yeah, that's 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 completely fair. That's completely fair. Um, and to be fair, when you talk about all those games and stuff. The thing which yeah. goes missing, which gets lost in translation there, that's the price of success because not every player plays in a Champions League game midweek and then a league game on the Sunday and then an international game. So you played yeah. those games yeah. because you were, at the, no. you, are, you were at the top, you know, and that's credit to you for that. When Thanks. do you think, um, when do you think you were at your best in your career? My? Yeah, your best, as in when you were playing the best, like the, the absolute peak. Uh... What I said before what, about what was your best moment, I think there were some time, I think my second year at City was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, that year was phenomenal. You know, I played most of the games with Finney company. Mm. That was one of my best years. Also my years at um, at, Ajax, of, uh, in, uh, at Ajax. At Germany, I had a fantastic year as well. My last year before I made my move to City, oh. uh, I was, that was an unreal year as well. Um, and I am with Milan. Uh, I had a good two-year stint there that I was a uh, crown player of the season for two straight years. Hmm. So, you know, like certain certain moments in your in your career that you said, like, yeah, that was my my best football. I think my early early twenties, mid twenties, and my early thirties. Yeah, I gotta say, the moments in my career that I really played my best football, and that resulted also, you know, in in various individual prices but also you know being successful almost successful in in, in team sport with yeah. the national team back-to-back semi-finals uh, world cup semi-finals uh second place third place you know 2010 second place 2014 third place mm-hmm. so that was that was a good span you know that i that i had over the years so you've mentioned those there but what would you say your proudest achievement's been uh proudest achievement I think the longevity, you know, in my career. Mm. I think still playing on the in the age of, of 36, almost 37, I think that's my proudest achievement, just always taking care of my body. And of course, people always say, you know, the trophies, um, you know, with City or, or with a national team mm. or with I them. But I think just the longevity of my of my career, mm. you know, coming up to the ranks as a 17-year-old and already 19 years in the game going into my 20th year. Oh, my I goodness. Think that's, that's my that's my biggest achievement, you know. So, you know, it, the funny thing I don't know how it is with you, but people always ask me, what was the greatest moment, you know, a greatest moment in your career? What was the the most, the best feeling that you had in your career? I always say them, the road to making it mm. is the best feeling mm. when you're a young kid. Mm. That road towards your first game in the next, in the first team. Mm. Second to none. Mm. That's the that's the that's the best feeling that you have. You know the excitement that you see from your parents, the excitement for you see that your friends you see you made it. You know grinding it out every day. You know like going on st- going from 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 the schoolyard on the metro from the metro to the pitch. You know mm. and stuff like that. All grind to making it. That's the best feeling because if you make it, that's the easiest thing. It's just go through through the motion. Yeah. But that best feeling of you as a six-year-old grinding it through, making your debut as a seventeen-year-old, you know that's 
That's the best feeling Stop in the it. book. You give me like I'm getting goosebumps here. Don't don't do this to me. Not on my own show, man. <laughs> because I, you, yeah. if I, you relate to yourself, Nedim, yeah. you know, and you see, like you remember the grind that you had to yeah. go through yeah. with your parents grinding for you or your grandfather, your grandmother making that dish on the table, knowing that you come from a training session mm. home late. Mm. You know, like that whole grind. <laughs> And then being successful and be able to financially support your family. That's mm. that's comes after. Yeah. But that grind towards the top is the best feeling. Yeah. Is the best thing. And that's unmatched. Yeah. Because that's the most fun part. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And to be fair, for context, as we all know, not everybody gets that feeling as well. So that's why probably why it feels that little bit better as well. Because yeah. it's it's yeah. even though we play in a team sport, it's very competitive individually. Because not every player from an academy team goes into the first team. So you're sometimes you're getting picked over somebody else. So your path takes you left. This person's mm. path takes them right, and who knows what their career is. But I love that. That was such a good, such a good point. And now I'm just gonna leave you with one more question. Yeah. This is uh, I'll be very interested to hear yours here. So yeah. on the show, we get every guest to give me a five-a-side team of the best players that they've <laughs> played with. Yeah. And that was coming as well. Yeah, for, let's for context. As I say, this is five. This is five aside. So don't think about people who are good at eleven aside. Think about people who are good at five aside. So tell me, right. tell me what your team is. That's the final question. A five aside team, yeah. Yes. So I have to technical. I have to get some technical players in Listen. there who know. Oh, I know that are good in a five side team. Yes. Uh that is a hard one, man. I mean, I got to bring David Silva in. No, without, without a question. Without a question, unreal. Robin van Persie, Ooh. see what he can do on a in a in a in a in a five-a-side game. It's unreal. Okay. Uh, who else? I put myself in, of course. No, no, you can't put yourself in. No, stop. I'm going to pull you up on this show. No, I'm not the, this time. I'm the manager. Yeah, I'm you're, the hype you're, man. you're picking the team. Yeah, you're the hype man. You pick the team. Yeah, I, I will hype my team up then. So you got van Persie, David Silva. Uh, who else? So many players, man. Now, uh, who's good in the in the streets? Uh, it's hard, though. Mm. I gotta say, Carlos Tevez. Yeah, he's yeah, he's nice, man. In there, of his technical ability, but also about his it's will mentality. to win. Yeah, losing. Yeah. Uh, I gotta bring in the big man Slatan Imrimovic, who I play with. Yeah, Ajax. Even was that? though, oh, where was that? Even though uh, Ajax, yeah, even though he's quite big for five aside, but he just will boss everybody around. Yeah. So at this point, uh, for this point, let me just remind you. I said five aside, not six. So you need to think of a goalkeeper, or you need to take out one of those outfielders. No, no, no. I, uh, one of my outfielders will be a goalkeeper. We don't need a goalkeeper, though. <laughs> no, we don't need a goalkeeper. No, no. We got, we got so much skill that we don't need a goalkeeper. Oh. We play sweet. We're playing we sweeper, play sweeper, sweeper, okay. sweeper. So I got to get Rubinho in there as well. Do you know what? I was, I, from th- looking at you now, I started thinking about him and I thought, yeah, Rubinho on the five side was the truth. Hey, right? I've been doing things on the pitch, yeah, with, with City and later on in Milan because I, we, we played twice with each other. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Yeah. With a ball in his feet. Yeah. So in a small space, he's unreal. So I got to go David Silva, Rubinho, Carlos Tevez, Slatan, And Van Persie. And- and from Percy. Oh, that's a five aside. You know what? That's that's not too bad at all. And I'm gonna send yeah. that to the uh I'm gonna put that on social media. I'm gonna I'm gonna let people tell you what they think about it. But for me, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And 
goalkeeper. We don't need a goalkeeper, trust me. <laughs> That's a fact. As many goals we get against, we will score as twice as many goals. Uh, so we will win it. The Galactico mentality. You see that? Right. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much, Nigel. It's great to see you again. And thanks for telling everyone your story. And hopefully people uh, finally get to understand what you're really like. You know, you're a little teddy bear, really. So that's all good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a teddy bear of the pitch, man. <laughs> don't come on the pitch, though. I know, hey, different. I'm gonna, still on this age. Different. Don't come in the pitch. I still have it. Different. But, you know, it's all love outside of the pitch, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much, man. You have yourself a great day. And I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Take care. See you, brother. Yeah, Take care. All the best. Thank you for this. Bye, guys. So there you have it, my people. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to let me know what you think about today's show via our social media or actually no. Why not send in a voice note via the link in the show notes? The best responses may just get played in a future episode. And before I get ahead of myself, lest we forget to say thank you to producer Ryan Hale for all the work that he does off mic. And finally, all I have left to say is make sure you stay safe, you hit subscribe, you stay tuned. Bye for now.